Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Due to technical difficulties, we join this podcast in progress. God made a way for this to happen that he was able to rescue us. How many are thankful to be rescued this morning from the kingdom of darkness? Yeah, that kingdom that Satan was setting up thinking, I've got everybody. I'm going to bring him into my kingdom. And God said, hold on just a moment. And he purchased our freedom and he forgave our sins. I think it's important that we understand that hell was created for Satan and his demons. It was not created for us. It was not created for mankind, for human beings. It was created for Satan and his cronies, his demons, all that. That's what hell was created for. Satan and his posse are the only ones that are condemned to hell and have no way out. The rest of us, come on, the rest of us, we have a way out. A way out was created for us, and that's good. We have a way out, and Christ Jesus provided that way. You know, it's interesting that we often live our lives, and I mentioned this last week, we often live our lives as if Satan is allowed into our kingdom. I think Brett was talking about some things because we deal with these things. We have our flesh, then we have our soul, and then we have in the spirit realm that we're, we're dealing with things all the time that are going through our mind and our thought process. And so the enemy comes at us and he tries to rattle us and shake us up. And so all of a sudden, somehow we feel like that he's just around us and living in the same kingdom we're living in. It's not true. He was thrown out of God's kingdom. He tried to create his own kingdom, and he's been trying to lure us into his kingdom for ever since the beginning of when he was thrown out and the beginning of mankind. And we see this. He tries to create this illusion that he has power over us. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, and I've told a few people this, about this key that I had. Last week, we talked about keys of the kingdom. Well, this is an interesting story, and if I would have not witnessed it firsthand, I would not believe this story that I'm telling you, and so I hope you can believe me that I'm being truthful with you, and I am. There's no reason for me not to be, but it's one of those things that was very eye-opening for me. I want you to see this first so you can see it. This is a key, and it's bent. You can see this. I'm going to walk down so everybody can see it. It's a key that's bent, right? And this is actually a, a strong key. I can't just, I can't bend it back just like that without a lot of pressure bending it. So here's the story behind this. So I was here at the church. The enemy had been harassing me about a few things. And so, you know, going through those times, and we all have been through those times where we just feel like, man, the enemy seems like he's just kind of coming after. And I would pray and, and do those things, but yet there was just kind of this time. And so I was here at the church, and I went into one of the doors that was locked, and so I, I have this key and another one that looks just, it's the same shape with the square on the bottom. They look identical. They just, one has a little different mark on it. So I went to use the key just to open the door, and the first key I grabbed turned, and I thought, oh, no, that's not the right one. So then I opened it with the other, set my keys down. So I handled both of these keys at that moment and looked at both of them, and they both went in the door fine and worked fine. I set my keys down. And then a couple minutes later, I picked my keys up, and I was, there was nobody else in there. It was just me. And I grabbed and picked them up, and this key was bent, just like this. I did not do that. I promise you I did not do that. And what I discovered in my, say, Lord, what, 
So this is what I surmise, and, and please, this is not spooky. This is not try to get you weird or anything. But what it was, I believe, was the enemy was trying to do something to demonstrate to me, thinking that he has power to do something to mess with my keys that, for whatever reason. But it was something that the Lord showed me that, yes, the enemy can do things. But the reality was <laughs> that God came to me at that time, and it was a, an opportunity for me to be so confident in my trust and faith in God that this was not going to affect me in a negative way. Now, I may be wrong in my assumption. Very well, God could have bent the key. I don't 100% know, but it just seemed in because of all the things that were going on, it just felt like the enemy was trying to do something to get me yeah. off track, trying to pull me away from what I believed in and what I strongly my faith was strong in and my faith is and, and it still is in fact and so I keep this key and I look at it often as a reminder of my authority over the enemy and his attempt to try to disrupt my life in any way however he could and so it's just an interesting story to share with you and I know it's hard to believe it if you're not right there in the moment experiencing that and again I'm not doing this to try to be spooky or anything but it gave me confidence in my faith and trust in God and the authority over the enemy. And it didn't bother me because I wanted to come back and say that. It absolutely did not bother me. I didn't lose any sleep over it. In fact, it's like it's a reminder to me. Satan has no power over me, has no authority over my life. And we know that Satan cannot touch us without God's permission. We look in Job and we see that where that conversation that God has with Satan where he's having this, con hey, you know, hey, what are you going to, what are you going to do? Oh, so Satan is going down just to check things out. And so God says, well, have you thought about my servant Job? And Satan's immediately like, well, pff, no, he's like untouchable. You have put a protection around him. I can't get to him. And so knowing that God has his protection around all of us and Satan can't come at us without going through God. So in this case, God allowed him to test him. He said, but you can't harm him can't physically harm him. I'll let you test him. So go through that stuff. But Satan had to get permission from God to do that. So know that we are under God's covering in that. And, and God's not going to give Satan permission to do anything to destroy us. But there may be tests that come our way. But understanding that it goes through the God screen. God's involved in our life in every area of our life. So we have to trust that in him. In Matthew 8, we read about the demon-possessed guys, and the demons were asking permission from Jesus. They had to get permission. So these two demon-possessed guys, and Jesus comes, and, and the demons are freaking out. They knew what was going to happen. They knew they were doomed. And they're like, beg Jesus, please, make us go into these pigs. So they had to get permission. And he's like, oh, all right, go into the pigs. And then they, the pigs ran off the cliff, and they went in the lake, and they drowned. And so there's things that we see that God is in control of our lives in the sense of that things go through him. So we don't need to fear the enemy because if we're living in his kingdom, where his kingdom kids were covered by him. Here's another thing I'll say, and this is what I firmly believe, and you may have a different thought process, but I don't see in scripture, I don't find anywhere that says born-again Christians can be demon-possessed. I don't see any scriptures that will back that. In the stories that we read, that's not the case. Because darkness can't dwell with light, for one. So if we have the Holy Spirit living in us, Satan can't be dwelling in us at the same time. It just can't happen. Now, there's tormenting, there's oppression, there's things that the enemy tries to do to us from the outside that can affect us. 
But don't run around thinking that you have a demon living in you if you're a born-again believer. That's just the enemy lying to you. Those two things cannot dwell together. And so understanding, okay, Satan's power was broken. It was broken. So here we go into Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Satan had that power at one time. But Jesus, when he went to the cross and he went and took the keys of death and hell, he took care of all that for us. So he took that power back. The enemy is, in a sense, doesn't have that power, doesn't have that authority anymore over our life. And so we eventually then we see Jesus comes to earth to establish God's kingdom. When he comes, there's a kingdom he's established. And it will be fulfilled completely at his return. So we're a part of that right now, though. So there are protocols for living successfully in God's kingdom. So I want to jump into those. So if we want the benefits of God's kingdom, then we must follow the protocols of his kingdom. There's something that's in this, seems like in this culture, that people are trying to tear apart and remove and take out some of these important things that allow us to have the benefits that God intended for us. And so we need to be careful. And so sometimes it's good to revisit back and say, what, what is this? And these are things that, that I came up with, and you may come up with some others, and I'd, I'd love to hear maybe from you what you see, what God's shown you as some protocols for you. So how do we get in? How do we get into his kingdom? It's a pretty incredible kingdom. When we understand we don't want to be in kingdom of darkness, Christ came and he rescued us from that. Okay, so how do we get in? Well, we must make Jesus Christ king. We must make him king, which is make him our savior and make him our Lord. Okay, that's how we get in. We accept what he did on the cross for us. In John 3, starting at verse 1, it says this, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, explained uh, Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows Wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. It's kind of hard to explain, isn't it, sometimes, what that is and what that really means. But he's saying, no, you have to be born again. Your, your spirit has to be born again. In John 3, 5, in the message version, it says, Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation the wind hovering over the water, creation, the Holy Spirit, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. So we know then what we must do. We must make him our king. So that gets us in. Now, the second thing, and this is something that I've thought about a lot, and so I make a big thing of this, I suppose, but we must become a servant. We must become a servant. In Mark chapter 9, Starting in verse 33, it says this, After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, 
what were you discussing out on the road? Like Jesus needed to ask him because I'm sure he knew, but he's asking him a question as he always does. But they didn't answer because they'd been arguing about which of them was the greatest. <laughs> he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. It's interesting because the kingdom of God works different than the kingdom of darkness or the world around us. In that world, everybody fights to be number one, to climb the, the ladder, whatever it is. And if you need to take somebody out, get in there, whatever you need to do, you're just going to get there. And God's going, oh, it doesn't work in my kingdom that way. And it's a point that's hard for us to grab a hold of because when we're born into this world, we're born selfish. We are selfish people. We want what we want. And so it's me, 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 I'm first. It's about me. And so to make that shift, because that's the flesh, to make that shift and say, putting others before myself, becoming a servant. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you learn to become a servant of others. Well, that doesn't necessarily make sense, but that's how God's kingdom works. So it's important that we are serving. So that's the thing that we understand when we're, there's things we give up when we come into God's kingdom, and we don't give them up because God wants to see us suffer or feel like, oh, well, that's dumb. He does it because there's great benefits that come from that. And those of you who are involved in serving understand what I'm talking about, that there's something gratifying that comes when you are able to serve and help in areas where there can't be payment or there can't be something that comes back to you. It's not like, well, I'll do this if you do this for me. Now, God's faithful at bringing things back to us. I have a story I just thought of just now. We were doing something for our neighbors. They, they live in Arizona for seven months out of the year. Something so simple. And every couple of weeks, just went and checked on their house and so forth. Just to want to serve them, you know, be good neighbors and be godly, friendly people. And so they, just a couple days ago, they left a card for us, and there was money in there. I'm like, well, what's this for? Well, thank you for looking after how I'm like, no, because it, that's just what, that's what I would do. I mean, that's the friendly neighbor thing. But I say that because there was, there was some return that came that God wanted to do in this whole process. But it gets just a reminder again, when we're serving and stuff, there's no expectation of something. But if blessings come, no, that comes from God. Because he loves to give back to those who give. And so that's just part of the process too. Now the next one is love God and love people. That's a protocol in his kingdom. Love God and love people. Now this one is interesting because over the last two or three years, God's really been speaking to me about this. It's been an interesting journey that I've been on personally. If you look in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36... Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. This is big stuff. Love God with everything that's in me. That's part of being in his kingdom. He's saying, I just, I, I want you to love me. And he says, but it doesn't stop there. You need to love those people around you the same way. That's the hard part, I think, for a lot of us to do. 
And to get in that place of actually having compassion and love and going out of our way to serve. And I think about, for my wife and I, we absolutely love the people in this church, the, pe- the people here. We, and God's really developed in me personally a love for people that I didn't know that it, I thought I did, but I didn't know it to the level that God wanted it to be at. And I'm still in that process. But I understand that God is doing something, a deep work in my life personally, but it is absolutely a protocol. And now I understand why it is a protocol in being in his kingdom. Because there's something incredible that happens when we demonstrate that. When we're unified in love and we're there for each other and we have each other's back. And we're, you know, yeah, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to offend or hurt somebody. That's just, but the reality bottom line is knowing that person loves me. That person really cares. They want to see the best for me. And so God kind of had to take me outside of the, the church sometimes just to, to show me how I needed to demonstrate and show me the needs that are in the community and the desperation that are in the lives of so many people that are hurting and they have a need, they have no hope, and they need Jesus Christ. And as I go through that in my life, I will drive down the street and I'll say, God, I'm getting this. When I realize inside there is something that's stirring in me that says, man, I do have a passion. I do have a passion. God, thank you for putting that within me. That's not what I started off with coming and pastoring a church, but it was something God birthed in me and then was developing and over time. So I'm going to encourage all of you, wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord, just allow him to take you on this journey and ask him, Lord, teach me. Because if, if you don't have that First of all, if you don't have that love for him, that's first. We've got to have that. Teach me how to love you, God. That's a great start. But God, teach me how to love people like you do. Like you do, Lord, because that's what our heart needs to be. And I believe when we do that, so many of the other cares and concerns and frustrations, somehow they just God just takes those from us because they don't become uh, something we set up on the table to look at. We set these things that we're frustrated about, concerned that we don't get or don't understand, and we kind of set those there, and every time we look out, that's what we see. But I believe if we take the hearts of people and we set them there and we begin to look at them and say, God, you've got something. Your compassion, God, is for these people. The other stuff kind of fades in. It, it becomes a blur. And so where do we focus? Where do we focus? Okay, the next one, accept God's forgiveness. No payment needed. I want to say, God forgives the sins of believers on the basis that once and for all sacrifice he made when he went to the cross, it is finished, right? It's done. Our believers' sins, we're, we no longer hold on to those things as something that keeps us down. They're not held against us. There was an account of Jesus atoning by going to the cross and dying for our sins. So we have to accept that. I know there are people that are in the kingdom that just have not yet feel like they can accept forgiveness. They feel like they've done so much so wrong that how can God ever forgive me? I'm just telling you this morning, part of the protocol is flat out just accept the forgiveness. Accept his forgiveness and move on because he's already forgiven and forgot. Just accept it because that's a huge roadblock for so many people is just feeling like, man, I, I, I don't know if I can be forgiven. Accept God's forgiveness. There's no more payment needed. He paid the price. 1 John 1, 8, 9. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sin to him, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins 
and to cleanse us from all wickedness. He's faithful. He's just. He will do that. Here's a, something interesting scripture, too, in the Old Testament, Micah 6, starting in verse 6. What can we bring to the Lord? Because we always think like, man, I just can't do enough. What do I do, Lord? Should we bring in burnt offerings? Should we bow before God Most High with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No. <laughs> oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. Do what is right, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Do what is right, love mercy, and I would throw grace in there with it. Love those things. Walk humbly with God. We can get prideful, we can get arrogant, but if we remain humble in the Lord, because we all make mistakes, we all mess up. But man, none of us are any better or greater than anybody else, but sometimes we can get that attitude and that's not the attitude that God wants. He wants us to have the attitude of loving and serving and just do what's right. The next is walk in God's power. That's a protocol. <laughs> walk in God's power. That's part of it. 1 Corinthians 4.20. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. We need to make sure we're living by God's power. Walk in his power. We've heard that this morning already. Just the exhortation of the thing. We, we got to know who we are. Who are you in his kingdom? You got to walk with the swagger of a child of God that you're in his kingdom. And nothing is going to take you out. You got to be confident and bold. That's not pride. That's just confidence in who you are in Christ. There's a little swagger about us knowing that we're part of God's kingdom. That's a great kingdom to be a part of. You know, we don't have to be just kind of walk, well, I'm a child of God, but... I just don't want everybody else to know because I don't want them to think I'm prideful. Well, no, come on, that's false humility, whatever. But we just need to be confident. We're in his kingdom. Let's walk in his power. Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's what he wants to do. We might ask or think of something. He's like, come on, let's get bigger on this thing. And the last one, and there's probably many more, but... It must be a priority. It must be a priority. Luke 12, 31. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything you need. We're asking God for everything, but are we seeking his kingdom first? Or are you trying to do it yourself? Are you trying to fix it yourself? And eventually coming back second or third or fourth, seeking him. He's like, come on, seek me first. Above everything else, come to me. Seek me. And I will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Yeah. Come on now, that's, that's something. Happy. We need to be happy. If he's happy, yeah. we need to be happy. Yeah. And he says he's happy to give us the kingdom, then I'm happy to take the kingdom, yeah. to be a part of the kingdom. And it makes me want to please him. It makes me want to follow the protocols that he's established. It makes me want to do that because I want to please my father in heaven. Yes. And he's looking down and he's happy. He's smiling. Even when we're messing up, he's still smiling because he's like, hey, you're in my kingdom. You know, I got you. And the enemy has no place in that. So a question, are you living your life taking advantage of all the benefits of the kingdom? Or are you not? Because there are advantages to being in God's kingdom. There are benefits to being in God's kingdom. And we want to make sure we're doing that. Being a kingdom kid, 
You know, you can call whatever you want because you're you're child of the God. You're a kid. You're you're part of His family. But again, I want to reiterate: Satan has no no place in God's kingdom. No place. He may be trying to lob things over the wall or whatever he's trying. He can't get in. So you need to make sure that you understand you have the authority over him. So when he starts to come at you, don't allow him even to come close to whatever's happening. Because he's not allowed in the kingdom. He's got the kingdom of darkness. But if we're not in that kingdom, we've been rescued from that kingdom. Don't go back to that kingdom. There are people that are in that kingdom that are lost and they're dying. They're without hope. And I I see it all the time just because of my involvement in the community. I see the darkness and I see my heart goes out to these people who are suffering and hurting, especially when they're going through tragedy and they have nowhere to turn. They have no hope except that Jesus Christ is that hope for them. And to be able to offer that to people, it's amazing how open they are when they've come to the end of their rope and they're looking for something. And we have that answer to be able to share the goodness of God and his kingdom. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing a song that it's a pretty good tempo song. So I'm just kind of picking up a little bit of that. So I don't know what the song is called because I know you guys know it already. So we're going to sing this song. And just allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. These are just some things, and I know this is not new stuff that I'm giving you, but I, if, if nothing else, you're getting a reminder of what God's kingdom is about and our position in his kingdom and the protocols in his kingdom. And that we have power and authority over the enemy. So we need to walk like it, talk like it, speak like it in everything that we need, that we are doing and let God do the rest because he's more than capable of doing that. Amen. Let's sing this together. So if you are here this morning and you were hearing what I was sharing this morning and you're saying, you know what? I'm not even sure that I'm a part of the kingdom of God. And if that's you today, I'd love to pray for you after the service. Because guess what? Jesus is here and he came to rescue all of us. And he wants us to be part of his kingdom. And if you have any question whatsoever about that, we'll make sure today that you're in his kingdom. And you're taken out of the kingdom of darkness because he has good plans for you, for every one of us. So I want to pray for you after the service. That you come and talk to me. We can pray for you. We have our prayer team, Helen, Carol, and others. If you have any other need, we want to pray for you. I know there's people that are dealing with different physical things. We believe God is in the healing business. And he loves every one of us. And no matter what we're going through, as was said earlier, Heather was talking about, knowing we can trust him. We trust him. Chris Agers prayed in our prayer time this morning. (laughs) Not that we want problems, but those are the areas when we do have them, that God demonstrate that of his power and that he can help us through those. We don't pray for those things, but when they come, 
because they do. God demonstrates his power in those, th- in those times. Amen. Lord, I just pray. I thank you for every person here. I pray, Lord, a special touch of you, your Holy Spirit on every life here today. God, that you would stir us even afresh again, Lord, to refocus on you, the importance of loving you and wanting to please you, Lord. We thank you that your Holy Spirit dwells in us as believers. Help us to make sure that we take every advantage of that in our lives, that we call upon the Holy Spirit all throughout the day. And you are faithful, Lord. You are faithful. And we trust you, even in the midst of all the challenges, the battles that we face. You are God. You are God. You are God. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Thank you for being my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 